You are listening to Cut Jib Newsletter Speaks, the podcast. This is uh, Series 6, Episode 1 for Monday, the uh, 4th of December, 2023. It's J.J. Sefton returning after a uh, bizarre hiatus uh, due to, to illness. I'm feeling uh, much better these days. Uh, and I'm with my good friend, co-blogger and co-host CBD and returning to the show after a really long hiatus. I think uh, he was one of our original guests way back in the way back in the old days. Uh, Harry Stein is an author, a pundit, uh, a commentator, a raconteur extraordinaire. Uh, he has written many books of fiction and nonfiction. Among them, one of my favorites is a piece called uh, How I Accidentally Joined the Vast Right-Wing Conspiracy and, uh, and uh, Found Inner Peace, as well as No Matter What, They'll Call This Book Racist. Uh, Harry Stein and CBD, uh, hello, gentlemen. Good to, good to be with you. Good morning. Hey, great to be here, guys. So, so Harry, yeah, I've been looking at your, uh, um, your Wikipedia page, which I'm sure is, is mostly incorrect, but it tells <laughs> me that you graduated from Nourishell High School. That part is correct, amazingly enough. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I'm I'm a Westchester boy, also. Uh, oh, from where? A uh, little bit west of you, um, Ardsley, tiny little town. Well, I mean, I we raised our kids in Hastings on Hudson, so I know Ardsley. Okay. Well. All right. Have you? Which I, is just curiously, um, I, you know, I, my my parents uh, are gone, and um, I haven't been there in in many years, but. Uh, it, it has changed radically. Uh, you know, the, the population density in Westchester has increased significantly and the uh, and, the, you know, the beautiful idyllic, uh, you know, sculpted lawns and 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 grand houses are are in many, many of these towns gone. And they've pumped a bunch of uh, of McMansions in. And uh, it, it is definitely a uh, a different place than where I grew up. Yeah. You know, Mark Zuckerberg, of course, was from Arden. Yeah. Oh, well, correct. you know, <laughs> I'd rather not talk about that. <laughs> no. Anyway, there's a lot, lots of stuff going on and, you know, we're, we're kind of freewheeling. I'm sure we'll hit all kinds of different subjects, but the, the big news, or at least a big news are two things. Number one is, um, and we'll talk about this as well. The, the Israeli government, thank goodness, has uh, said to hell with the ceasefires and is really uh, now uh, on the move in, in southern Gaza. Uh, against the wishes of the West, of course, and and of, and of this illegitimate government. But speaking of illegitimate governments, with all that crap going on, and with all the the criminality and 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 just the the, the rank tyranny that that has really taken over the United States government, uh, the GOP has decided, in its wisdom, that the, it's going to concentrate on uh, getting rid of of a man named George Santos and expelling him from Congress. So uh, that's that's their big priority, which is the most ridiculous. You know, it's it's just absolutely ridiculous considering the 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 criminality the, the the crazy criminality of people from you know Ilhan Omar who is an a, a, an immigration fraudster uh, Rashida Tlaib who is in league with Hamas and other uh, terrorist organizations and this Jamal Bowman who pulled the fire alarm in order to uh, to prevent the, the the functioning of government going forward uh, a few weeks back. But George Santos, a guy who hasn't even been convicted of anything, has just been accused of, you know, being like a who knows what, like a, a fabulous of all things. Uh, he's got to go. It's just, you know, absolutely ridiculous what's going on in this country. Well, you know, can we be surprised by anything the GOP does? Uh, mm-hmm. it, it, you're right. It's absolutely appalling. Um, and, you know, HBO has already optioned uh, the book about uh, Santos uh, with 
my erstwhile friend Frank Rich, uh, executive producer, for <laughs> his post. Uh, you know, so so the left makes hay on this stuff. Uh, it's a distraction, obviously, uh, but uh, you know. Uh, what what can you say? I mean, this is this is how they operate, and we don't fight back. Exactly, it. We don't fight back. Um, they and what, what's frustrating is that the the left is objectively stupid. I mean, they the the their behavior is ridiculous. Their their policies are are even more ridiculous. But they act in concert, and that overwhelms whatever uh, philosophical um, underpinnings we have as as a, a party of the right or people of the right. Um, they're better at it, and uh, we're losing. And and it doesn't matter how stupid they are. It doesn't matter um, that the political hate that they make with George Santos is going to be dissipated in a few weeks. They got what they wanted. And we so rarely get what we want because we so rarely act in concert. And that's well, there's, one there's of the most that, frustrating things about it. The fact they they control all the institutions. I mean, I don't know how you overcome that. I mean, I, I see it in conservative publishing. It is, uh, you know... I, I come from the left. I was on. I was on. I was born into the left and spent, you know, the early part of my life, professional life, on the left. And it was a pleasure <laughs> the way I was promoted and, and advanced and got on television. Uh, you know, you find yourself on the right, and you're basically on your own. Uh, and I'm not just talking about myself. I'm talking about the ability to get across point points to a public that is pretty much disinterested in. Uh, the things that, that we care most about. Uh, so, you know, you can bang your head against the wall uh, about this stuff a million times. After a while, it just kind of breeds uh, contempt for our side and, and kind of fatalism. You know, Harry, it's funny. You mentioned, and I know you, you are a, a very well-rounded, I mean, you've written many, many books, both of fiction and nonfiction, obviously, uh, in recent years of Really, the nonfiction stuff I think is all, you know, about your, you know, conservative um, and uh, uh, conservative topics and conservative subjects. But you mentioned the fact that even the, the publishers supposedly on our own side are 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 even sort of gun shy about, you know, standing up for for what we believe in. I mean, if we, if that's the case, then we're we've we've got two hands behind our back and our legs are legs are bound as well. I mean, there's no, how do you even o- overcome that kind of thing, even from a from a professional standpoint, uh, as an author and, and as a publisher, I don't know how you do, frankly. I mean, this is this is the problem we grapple with all the time at our little publishing house, Calamar Press. Um, it's uh, it's very very hard to get any traction. Uh, you know, the best you can hope for generally is what is one of your authors getting savagely attacked by some, you know, real sob on on the left. And and that attracts our attention. You know, it actually happened to uh, Scott McKay, who was on your show not long ago. Uh, yes, who's the author of, of our book, uh, Racism, uh, Revenge, and Ruin. It's all Obama. Was just attacked by CNN last week because they were after Johnson. Uh, you know, the uh, majority leader, who was from Louisiana, as Scott is, and in a previous book. Uh, Johnson had written uh, the introduction for Scott and they found, you know, phony little things in Scott's book that they could use against Johnson. So that's been very helpful to Scott and uh, hopefully will be helpful to our book. 
we couldn't generate that kind of press. I mean, you need CNN to do it for you because they're they're so full of malice that maybe we can latch onto it and, and energize some people on our side. But no, you're absolutely right. It is very, very, very tough. I'm actually considering writing a book, which I've I've had in mind for a long time, based uh, kind of a lighthearted but serious book. Uh, the tentative title of which would be. Uh, Please, someone stop my sister-in-law from voting again. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I have all the research materials here. I mean, there's fascinating stuff. If you look at the anti-suffrage movement uh, at the turn of the century, there were really, really smart people on that side. And they were all prescient. They anticipated everything that would happen with the women's vote. Um, and, of course, they've been smeared by history. But I, you know, that would be one of the anchors of such a book. And I figure, you know, I if I write this book, you know, 12 people are going to read it. You're, you're going to get slammed. No, you know, you're going to get slammed as a viciously as a misogynist by people who don't read the book. And uh, what's the point? I mean, when you're on the left, you propose a book to like minded editors. They get excited about it. They give you a good deal. The, the, you're on the Today Show within a year, <laughs> you know, you're, you're on all over MSNBC and you're selling books. Uh, it's very, very hard to reach our core audience and to energize them. I, I don't know how you do it. You know, it, you, you mentioned uh, stop my sister-in-law from uh, from voting. My my father, who was uh, relatively conservative, had an older sister who was uh a dumber than a rock and was reliably liberal uh new york city school teacher uh you know she checked off all the the perfect uh liberal um bona fides right. um and he would often call her uh the day before the any election and say listen sis he called her sis you and i are are going to vote in opposition so why don't we just not vote because that way you don't have to go to your polling place and i don't have to go to my polling place and everything will be fine and she would often agree, and he, of course, would go vote anyway. Right. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> thereby proving her stupidity. But yes, all, of course, of course. In, in all likelihood, she was also voting, and uh, assuming that he was not. I mean, yeah. you don't. But, uh, well, somebody uh, was voting for somebody in the demo. You, you better believe some a dead person that, that had uh, miraculously her name and her address was also voting as well. So. Yeah. You know, my father died in 2010, uh, late October, shortly before uh, the, the, the midterms that year. And um, on the dining room table, when they were sitting Shiva, I find his ballot. <laughs> and I came very close to sending it in. It would have been illegal, of course. I didn't do it. But... Uh, <laughs> Should have. <laughs> it, it, no, it, it, if anything would have would have brought him shrieking back to life, it would have been that. Just, just you know, as 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 just as a background for those who don't know, Harry Stein's father, the gentleman named Joe Stein, and he is one of the creators, authors of the the classic Jewish tale, uh, Fiddler on the Roof. Uh, you know, along with Sheldon Harnick and um, oh, I forgot the Jerry other, the other, and Jerry Bach, of course. And as Harry mentioned, I mean, you know, Joe Stein, may he rest in peace, was a real, shall we say, 
of the left. I mean, the very, very hard left. And it sort of brings up, as we were talking right before we were recording, the subject of, you know, just of Jews, of what's going on in the world today with anti-Semitism. And is this going to be finally the nut that sort of cracks uh, American Jews, as I as I saw many times referred to them, uh, self-gassing idiots? Uh, is it going to wake them up to, to what's going on with, with the leftists in their party and in the world? Or is it just sort of they're just going to somehow find some, some sort of way to bury their, their head in the sand before the left cuts it off? Well, I, I'd like you. You can probably already tell I'm not much of an optimist, but uh, <laughs> I don't see any fundamental change uh, in the near future. I think I think there will be some modest change. Yes, um, you know I've I've actually wondered and spoken to my stepmother, who's moved to the right in recent years, uh, and she is a refugee um, from Nazism. Uh, huh? Whether what my father, how my father would react at this moment. And uh, I mean, my feeling is he would have reacted with horror, of course, to uh, to the attacks of, of October seventh, and and uh, but by now he would have uh, turned and uh, you know been a big Biden supporter and would have uh, you know been talking about Netanyahu already and talking about uh, the settlers and gone back to all of that. Um, it's been very disheartening to see how many Jews have been involved in these demonstrations. Uh, I've got a stepbrother who's actually uh, been very good on this, who's a um, teaches at Bard, but he posted yesterday a response to his quite admirable posts by one of his Jewish uh, young Jewish associates, who was horrified and spoke of the horrors and the, you know what we're seeing from the from the IDF is. A betrayal of everything I, I learned as as a young Jew and everything I value. Uh, I think that that is 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 basically the fallback position of the overwhelming majority of Jews. Um, it's it's awful to say, but uh, I, look, it's um, it's maybe not as drastic as what you see in the gay movement. Uh, you know, gay pride for Palestine and you know. Uh, yeah, queers what, for Palestine free. fascinates me. Uh, I mean, it's it is <laughs> it is a profoundly stupid position to take. It is it, it is it, you know all logic should reject it, and well, yet they are so they are so dominated by the the jingoistic uh, le, the jingoistic left that they can't look past what is what is so so obvious. I, well, I I just I don't get it. It it is unbelievably stupid. Of course it is. It, it well, it's fodder for the Babylon Bee, at least. Um, yes. I mean, <laughs> I mean, so much of this, so much of what we're seeing in the world is is logic up turned upside down. I mean, two two, two plus two equals ninety seven. Uh, I mean, nothing makes sense. And by the way, I, I mean, I I really think, and I'm pushing our book here. This is part of the legacy of Obama. Uh, his his great legacy is that he uh, he turned truth on its head. Uh, the meaning of justice was was, was poisoned and undermined. Um, the the meaning of racism, the meaning the meaning of decency was turned upside down by this guy, and he brought the entire Democratic Party with him, so that so that they will lie uh, uh, knowingly lie in their souls 
about the, the meaning of a man and a woman. I mean, who, who else could have achieved that? Um, anyway, enough, enough about that. But the, um, but of course, I mean, it is absolutely lunatic. It makes no sense at all. Um, but it, it, it seems not to matter anymore. It just, they just repeat it ad infinitum. Yeah, that's a, it's a very dangerous place to be. I mean, the echoes, you know, to, to, you know, at the risk of invoking Godwin's law, but of course there it is. These incredible lies, these, these, these bald face, I mean, just absolutely in your face untruths and, 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 and myths about Israel, about the nature of the state of Israel and so on and so forth. Even when, you know, you see these guys, these, these savages literally videotaping themselves, gang raping women until they're, their pelvises are bloody and they're dead, throwing babies into 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 ovens and, and making their parents watch them roast them alive. All of these things are happening. And at the same time, you get idiots like this Pramila J pal saying, well, we don't want to promote, uh, you know, we, 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 you know, we don't want to promote some sort of a myth of what's going on. This is an exaggeration or some crap like that. And it's just it's it's just it makes you want to tear what's left of your hair out of your head. But yeah. the well, average you, the average college will. student is, is 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 believes all this crap. I mean, they talk about you know Israel is committing genocide, which is fascinating considering since 2005 when Israel left Gaza, the population of Gaza has increased like threefold. So right. if that's genocide, I mean, uh, well, you know, but it's also militarily nonsensical. The 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 idea that a that a, a, a an army embedded within a civilian population is is protected by any law is 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 nonsense it is simply not the case you know people people criticize the united states for for firebombing um many japanese cities but what what many people don't understand about about the japanese economy during world war ii is that they had these tiny little essentially mini factories spread throughout their cities um you know a a a two-room home and one room was dedicated to making I don't know bolt handles for for their rifles or or fuses for for their bombs. I don't I don't I don't really know enough of the detail, but but what I am saying can be verified easily. So the idea that we indiscriminately bomb these cities for no for no military objective is nonsense, and it is the same thing that's going on in Gaza right now. Israel is being very careful to protect the innocents. Uh, and and that's a debatable concept the idea that any gazan is innocent but right. they are acting they are approaching military objectives they are not killing indiscriminately and it is so obvious and the the preponderance of of evidence is there and yet the the denial the of of what is plain is a hallmark of 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 america right now we we see facts and we deny them Right. And what's also important to note is that in 1944 and 1945, no one was objecting to the firebombing of, of, of Japanese cities or or uh, or the firebombing of, of Hamburg for, or and Dresden. Yeah, uh, we understood we were facing uh, a vicious and intractable enemy and we did what we had to to win. Um, the, you know, this latter day notion that, uh, you know, that uh, you bring this kind of touchy feeling, feely uh, sense to bear uh, in, in warfare, and particularly this kind of vicious urban warfare against uh, the most horrific enemy imaginable is ludicrous. 
I mean, no one in human history has ever tried to fight a war this way. Yeah. Uh, so, of course, I mean, the Israelis are extraordinary. They take precautions that no one else ever has or probably ever will. It doesn't they don't score any points for, for it. And at this point, um, you know, they, they just have to go ahead because they're going to be stabbed in the back by America. Eventually. No matter what. Exactly. Oh, yeah. That's happening right now. I mean, that was that's why, as I mentioned, the uh, the offensive now into the south uh, of Gaza has caught supposedly has caught people by surprise. And, uh, you know, between Blinken and, and, you know, the whole cabal of really, as, as you pointed out, Harry, it's really a Obama's third or fourth term already. Uh, you know, they're not going to, you know, they, they can't listen to these people. These people want Hamas. Hamas is a representative of Iran, and they want Iran to be the dominant force in the Middle East. And if that means wiping out every Jew on the map, then so be it. But which is essentially what it does mean. And so hopefully Netanyahu and whoever else is in charge of that government has to by now understand this, that it's just never going to. You know, it's never going to work out. You have to wipe out Hamas to the best ability that you can and then hopefully teach a lesson so that hopefully it doesn't happen again. Or if it does, it's it's at least hopefully mitigated to the point where it's never going to be a disaster of, uh, you know, uh, of these kind of proportions. But America right now, sadly, regardless of whoever is in in the Oval Office, whatever administration, even if it's a Trump administration, which is pro-Israel, uh, the inherent anti-Semitism. And globalism that is foggy bottom and then the rest of the government is is that's something else that as you as we talked about is how do you how do you fight that i mean that's it's ridiculous and hopefully israel understands this and uh, gets gives itself a little breathing space by wiping out hamas to the best of its ability you know harry yeah. made a very good point um the the well, i'll extrapolate a little bit but the insanity of believing that <laughs> war can be benign war is a horrible thing and to conduct it uh, in a half-assed manner, the way the United States wants Israel to conduct their war, excuse me, against Hamas, is also insane. Uh, you make it as bloody and as short as possible, and probably more people will survive. But but once again, this is this is a postmodern insanity that that war can be t- can be manipulated to political ends. No, war is is chaos and brutal, and there's nothing that can be done about that. And Israel, as as Harry has pointed out, um, Israel's behavior in this war has been unbelievable. It is it, they they are above reproach. Of course, the the world media can uh, can criticize Israel for anything, but uh, in reality, they are, they have been above reproach. You know, go, going back to the mindset that gives license to this kind of kind of nonsense, um, this does not deal with Gaza particularly, but uh, with January 6th in this country, um, speaking of lies and misrepresentations, uh, there was a piece in the New York Times a couple of Sundays ago uh, about a case uh, of, a, of a guy from Ohio, I believe who was a landscaper, who, would, who, would, uh, who was a single father. He was... Uh, kind of moderate Republican most of his life, became uh, very much pro-Trump during the first Trump administration. His business was prospering. Uh, his son, by the way, was gay. At, was, the, this guy was in his 60s. The son was, was in his mid-20s. They disagreed politically, but were very, very close. 
Uh, this guy ends up going to Washington on January 6th, uh, comes back home, and kind of lets on that he was involved in, in some of the chaos. His son, whom, whose uh, homosexuality he'd expressed without reservation, told him, I'll always love you, calls the FBI and, and turns him in. Uh, a few days later, uh, a SWAT team shows up, arrests him, drags him to DC. He was put on trial as awaiting sentencing. The Times piece was about how he and his son were trying to repair their relationship. The son testified against him. Uh, it was a, an absolutely horrific story, actually quite well told, oddly enough, in the Times. Uh, kind of sympathetic toward the father, who was clearly a, a very decent guy. Uh, and uh, you then go to the comments by Times readers. And I expect at least you know, 20 or 30% of them to say what I what I believe, thought that this is the Stasi in action and this is the most horrifying thing I've ever read. Uh, no, almost 100%. Uh, good for the sun, good for turning in the sky. He broke the law. These people have had their minds so messed up uh, by, uh, by what? By anti by hatred of Trump, by hatred of all of us, by the big lie that everyone on the right is, is a racist and, 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 and a vile human being, a Nazi. Uh, so these are, these are the people that, uh, you know, have no trouble at all uh, understanding both sides of this issue. Uh, these are people whose, whose minds are, 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 are you know, incomprehensible to those of us who grew up in the other America and still still feel part of that other America. It's, you know, it's what's amazing is that, and, and you know, you talk about the big lies of what's going on in Israel and genocide and all this other crap. We now, with the release of all of the footage from January 6th, it just literally now proves beyond any shadow of a doubt that whatever was happening all of the violence, all of the nonsense was an op that was basically orchestrated by the Democratic Party, by the FBI and the Department of Justice. And whatever, you know, minor little nonsense was going on, the real violence was being perpetrated by those same people. Yep. And, now, you know, we have it out in the open. It's exposed, but nobody will ever want to see that. Well, it's probably never going to. It'll be embargoed by the usual suspects. But beyond that, I had a, a piece this morning from, you know, speaking of, uh, of the um Speaker Johnson, this James Carville piece of shit, excuse my French, yeah. he goes on and he's basically saying that uh, Mike Johnson represents uh, a white nationalist racist movement in this country that is more of a threat to national security than Al Qaeda. And I'm going, you mother. I mean, it's, it's a language like that, which causes all these kinds, which literally foments violence and it justifies violent violence against us. And everybody else who is just minimally is opposed to the Democratic Party and its policies. So you know, fighting, you know, it, it's just mind numbing how literally just fomenting blood libels and it's literal blood libels. And they all believe it. That, that, that's what's astonishing to me. I remember the first time my, my wife and I were at dinner with the last couple on the left with whom we were still friendly at a Japanese restaurant and, you know, got into a kind of not terribly heated back and forth. And 
I said to the guy, do you really believe that all of us who voted for Trump are, are, are racist? And he said, yes, every single one of you. And my wife and I just turned to each other and started laughing. <laughs> we didn't, we did, hadn't really grasped until that moment that they actually believe all this stuff. And they do by the tens of millions. Um, it is, and I, what do we do about that? I mean, how do, how do we get those people back? I mean, they, they accuse us of being an occult. I mean, talk about projection. We don't get them back. Um, these, these people are beyond redemption. <laughs> they, have, they have no understanding of, of what America truly is. They have no understanding of, of what a, 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 a fundamentalist Christian is, for instance, in the United States. They have no understanding what that truly means. What they see is, is, the, is the, the caricatures painted by the New York Times and the Los Angeles Times and the Washington Post and the Atlantic. They read these articles and they and they think that these people are are, you know, snake charmers and and speaking in tongues and and they're and they're quite frankly insane. And so their reaction to them is not a, a human reaction to another human being. They are reacting to the caricature that they have learned, that they have internalized. Because let's face it, the New York City public school system teaches them exactly that. The Los yeah. Angeles school system teaches them. Their, their, you know, MSNBC teaches them that. So, there. To answer your question again, no, there is no redemption. What we have to do is figure out how to join forces with these people, with with the Christian fundamentalists, with the the white nationalists, whoever the hell they are. I've never met one, and and beat them at the polls. That's the only thing we can do. Yeah. It's also the, you know, the, the, you know, it's a short walk and it goes, this now circles back to just American Jews and what's going on in Israel and the anti-Semitism that's flaring up all over the world. It is, it is the same mentality the, the stuff that they're teaching about, you know, the, this phony notion of white nationalists and, you know, MAGA racists and this and that. It's the same thing. It's, a, it's allied with Israel, Jews and Israel, and they're, they're committing genocide against Palestinians. It's why you have, you know, a guy who gets, <laughs> The curb kills uh, kills a guy in Los Angeles, as opposed to a, a megaphone, or um, students being chased into into the uh, you know the hinterlands of of the Cooper Union, or of a teacher out in Queens who's literally has to has to run for her life lest she be lynched by a lynch mob because she supports the state of Israel. So all did of these see, things are way, being. Excuse me, did, did you did you see the follow up to that where she had a meeting with her students? No, and I didn't. He told them this. This is a. Uh, goes to everything we're saying about uh, liberal Jews. Uh, she, while she supported the people of Israel, she, she opposed the actions of the IDF and the Israeli. <laughs> and so she's, she's back on, on team, uh, you know, UFT and, and, uh, and kind of quasi pro-Palestine. Uh, <laughs> you know, that, this is what we're dealing with. It's, it's, uh, I don't the, know. The, the disconnect is just so utterly raw that, you know, I mean, I was, I've talked about this in the past, I guess, with people, I guess, like, like yourself, Harry, because for you to have, you know, come from being essentially, you know, a red diaper baby, I don't know if that's really very accurate or partially accurate, or at least from the extreme left, or people like David Mamet and David Horowitz, and over time, have basically come to realize that, you know, all of these things that you've sort of grew up with and believed as truths, you know, you've, you've, you've seen them to be total falsehoods. So this is, we're now in such an extreme, you know, um, um, 
whatever state of affairs, shall we say, that for just the average liberal Jew who sees what's going on in Israel, who sees what's going on in, in the streets of New York City, where, you know, the, the, the invading of the, the tree lighting ceremony and all these other things, to have to, you know, I guess it's a disconnect. I guess it's a, it's a break psychologically. You would have to, it would cause some sort of a crisis of consciousness, I guess. But no, the truth I, is the truth. Well, it's, it, it, I, I, was a, I was a red diaper baby, actually. Uh, I mean, my okay. parents might not have been formerly in the party by the time I was born in 1948. But if, if not, they were still sentimentally uh, on that part of the left. Um, it's an interesting thing, I think, what happened to the people you named, I mean, Horowitz and, and others. Um, we were different from average liberal Jews. We grew up very political. Uh, in a way that they didn't. I mean, uh, politics was very much a staple in my home and leftist politics. I mean, I remember I had a teacher in sixth grade named Mr. Ubley, who probably was a virgin. He was a wonderful teacher. And he talked a lot about politics. This was 1960 presidential campaign, you know, Kennedy and LBJ and Stuart Simonton and uh, Hubert Humphrey. And he talked a lot about that and got us very interested in politics. He would often talk about the Soviet Union. He hated Khrushchev. Khrushchev is a cold-blooded murderer. He also taught us how to spell Khrushchev and never get it, get it wrong. He said, whenever in doubt, put in an, an H, K-H-R-U-S-H-C-H-E-V. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and I remember I would go home. My parents were pretty quiet about politics at that point, probably because of the blacklist, and they had friends who were blacklisted. Um, and I would repeat these things at the dinner table. I, they, I would note the uh, concerned and horrified glances that they would exchange. But uh, I remember when the, the following year in seventh grade, when Kennedy was the Democratic candidate, I was appointed to debate on Kennedy's behalf in my history class. And uh, so my father prepped me for this debate the night before. He said, if you get in trouble, and don't know what to say, just say, what about Alger Hiss? Without explaining <laughs> what Alger Hiss was. And, and I did that. <laughs> I noticed the teacher who was standing behind my opponent kind of nodding in agreement. And then he, he awarded me the win. He said, he, he said that I had won the debate. And, I, that, and I, that was my initial understanding. You couldn't be too far left. It would never hurt you to be on the, on the left. Uh, but by the time I was, you know, in high school and Vietnam was percolating, and then especially in college, and I went to a kind of, you know, small liberal arts school that was not terribly political at the time. I got there in the fall of 66. I could sit at lunch and turn five people against the war in the space of half an hour because they weren't particularly interested in politics. And I would quote, uh, who was the French writer who would write about Vietnam? Hell in a very small place. I can't remember his name. Oh. Uh, you know, I, I had a smattering of knowledge enough to, uh, and then of course, very soon it became hip to be on the left. You didn't get late if you weren't on the left. Um, and, I, and I think people, uh, there were a lot of people like me on campuses around the country. It was the hard left kids who had a background in serious leftist politics, 
who were able to talk about uh, the Spain of uh, the war in Sp the civil war in Spain, the McCarthy hearings, uh, and quote, uh, you know, the army army. I I had a record in which I could uh, basically reproduce Joseph Joseph Welch's every word of the army McCarthy hearings, which I would repeat to people. Um, you know, we we simply seem to know more than other people, and we're easy to follow. People are very easily led. Um, but because we cared so passionately about these issues, we actually began asking questions at a certain point. I mean, Horowitz's case, it was after he saw what the Panthers, who the Panthers actually were and that they'd murdered a friend of his in Berkeley. Uh, in my case, I, I think it was initially affirmative action, which just didn't make sense to me. It didn't accord with my understanding of America. Uh, and... Uh, and there were there were other issues as well. I mean, I talked about all of these in, in that book about my turn to the right. Um, and it was also exposure to people on the other side, which I was. Which, let's face it, most liberal Jews are extraordinarily extraordinarily provincial. They never meet anyone outside of their circle. Um, and and we've. I mean, I I married outside of the faith, and uh, you know so. My wife is was continually surprised at how how small minded and insular uh, the world of liberal Jews were. That they, they simply didn't know anybody who wasn't exactly like them, who didn't who didn't automatically vote Democratic. Uh, and I remember one conversation I had with my father fairly late after uh, you know there was kind of a cold war between us about my politics and. Uh, I said to him, you know, you talk about people on the right uh, and capitalists in particular as if they're figures from the Monopoly game, you know, little guy with the top hat and the, mo hat and the monocle. And he said, that's who I think they are. <laughs> that's, you know, that's that's what you're dealing with. I mean, that level of sophistication. I mean, they, they, you, I mean you're right, Daniel, they, they, they've never... They've certainly never encountered a fundamentalist Christian. In fact, I remember very vividly the first time that I did um, and was surprised and kind of shocked by it. I, it was at a spring training game. I was I used to do a lot of sports writing. Uh, I was down in spring training in Florida and uh, was sitting on the bench with a guy and we started, started talking about baseball and got along great. He seemed like a wonderful guy. And I said, who are, who are you with anyway? He said, CBN, Christian Broadcasting Network. I couldn't, you know, it's like I was sitting with, with, uh, uh, you know, or some kind of dibuk. <laughs> I, you know, I never, he was one of these guys. He was, you know, by definition, as far as I, as, as I knew, a Jew hater. He wasn't. He was. A, he was a great guy. Now some of my best friends are fundamentalist Christians, uh, the most decent people I know. Um, but who knew? And it was the same way. Uh, you know, I mean, a big turn for me was when I got to know the Reagan people. When I was doing a piece for the New York Times, it was down in Washington, and the piece was really about how uh, people on the left, as I still very much considered myself did not understand the values issues that, that motivated people on the right, which seemed to me very legitimate and uh, 
you know, the leftists I knew assumed that everything was based on economics. And I, and for me, increasingly, it was becoming clear that culture was a major factor in how people voted. So that was the essence of the piece. And I went down, Reagan had just been reelected, and I went down to D.C. and met a lot of his people, including his campaign manager and people like Lynn Knobziger. And I thought, you know, I had more in common with them than I had with my friends. I mean, it was really an eye-opener. So I was very fortunate in that regard. Um, so can we win some of those people over? I think so, if if they're properly addressed. Um, I mean, I, I know some people came over after 9-11, uh, a few people, smart people, perceptive people. Um, and I, and and as I say, I think some people probably have come part way over already now. I know the affirmative action debate brought a lot of Asians over, maybe a few Jews also. Uh, you know, I've seen members of my family, a couple of them, who are more reasonable than they were. Uh, you know, maybe it's not hopeless, but I I, I think we have to find a way to speak to them, um, as as Reagan did so effectively in in the in the eighties, um, you know, find some kind of spokespeople, preferably fellow Jews who have made uh, who can make the case. Uh, I mean, I think your 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 point about uh, about <laughs> jury being so insular, and, and let's face it, uh, frankly, ignorant is important. Yeah. I think that the October 7th massacres, the pogrom of October 7th, has opened their eyes because they cannot be insular anymore. They can't, you know, see a, a you know, a, a, an article in the New York Times, you know, on the fifth page, bottom of the page saying, oh, you know, two, two Israelis were killed uh, by a Hamas um, fighter. Uh, this is this has been such an affront to to humanity that they have to confront it and i think a certain number of them will confront it and they will accept the reality um i see that in a few of my family members who are uh, by and large uh, reliably liberal um i am mm -hmm. certainly an outlier and they are they're puzzled and they're shocked by what is going on not only in the arab world but in the in the world of the left and i think Harry, I'm being a little bit op more optimistic than you. I think that some of them will will come over to the dark side. Well, I, I, I yeah, I, I mean, I don't disagree with that. I, it's it's a question of of, of how many, and yeah. and probably it's generational. Uh, you know, certainly older people are more shocked and are more open. You know, they're they're still more concerned with the Holocaust than, than than young Jews. I mean, what's disheartening to see is to see so many younger Jews uh, demonstrating on behalf of Palestine. I mean, that that that's jaw dropping. But um, you know, of, of a piece with with everything else in their world in their world, they 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 see Judaism as an ethical pro left statement. That's that's how they define. Judaism. Uh, and as long as, as they cling to that really distorted uh, belief system, uh, they're going to be more of the left than they are uh, 
when they see themselves as Jews. No, I, I agree completely. You're 100% correct. And they, and they see themselves, they see the Arabs as the victim. And, and they have been taught this, this ridiculously simplistic view of the world that, that there is power and then there is victimhood. victimhood. Yeah. And, well, obviously, the, the, the poor Gazans are the victims. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, a, a lot of, you know, the, these attitudes, I think, and I'm trying to just think back to my own personal experience, is that we grow up with stereotypes of what is, well, what is a Jew, but what is an American, what is a Democrat, what is a Republican, who do they stand for, who do they traditionally stand for, blah, blah, so on and so forth. I mean, people today look around, they, they still consider the Democrat Party, for whatever reason, they think of, uh, you know, Franklin Roosevelt and John F. Kennedy and so on and so forth. And they think Democrat for the for the little guy and the Republican for the big guy and white supremacists and so on and so forth. When all of these sort of uh, stereotypes and, and images are just completely out the window. When you look at, you know, how anyone, how any Jew can support a party that has people like, you know, this Ilhan Omar and the Rashida Tlaib and Jamal Bowman and Andre Carson and every left-wing Muslim crackpot that you could possibly think of. And at the same token, they're still sort of inculcated with this view that, uh, you know, Democrats uh, for, for the little guy and uh, Republicans racist and white supremacists and so on and so forth. And it's breaking through all those stereotypes. And when you finally sort of can release yourself of that bullshit, then there is a little bit of a chance of a breakthrough of saying, yeah, I mean, it's just, it, it's not the way it is. This is not, you know, this, this, this is the way of the world is you can't live as if it's 40, 50, 60 years ago. I mean, when my parents, my father grew up in Chicago and his father was basically an IWW wobbly almost essentially, you know, and my mother is a survivor of Hitler and, and, and came over and they were very, very quote unquote, I mean, traditionally, in a good way, the word liberal, they, they believed in equality, they were, didn't have a racist bone in their body, and so on and so forth. But, you know, when they were, you know, but they traditionally voted Democrat, because they too thought of, of Democrat as the little guy and for Jews, and Republicans not. So the big eye opener was when my folks finally became New York City teachers in the early 60s, when Albert Shanker was, was given the heave ho by the Black Panthers. The two of them sort of looked at the writing on the wall and put their heads down and said, that's it. I'm doing my job. I'm keeping my mouth shut and I'm going to collect my pension after 30 years. And it's exactly what they did. And maybe the last time they may have voted for a Democrat was Jimmy Carter. But within a very short period of time, they said, uh, never again. That was it. I don't know that my right. folks have ever voted for Reagan or any Republicans, but they sure as hell never voted for a Democrat for the rest of their lives. They were very smart and very prescient. Um, you know, speaking of... Uh, of Albert Shanker, uh, I just saw last week for the first time in many years um, Woody Allen's Sleeper, which was, <laughs> uh, and you remember the Albert Shanker reference? I the, believe so. Yes. <laughs> talk about the world being destroyed. How how was the world destroyed? He said, "Well, apparently in 1966 there was this man named Albert Shanker." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I happened to. I saw that that in Paris in a, in a theater full of French people, and this line. It, it, it was if I'd been drinking, it would have been a spit tur a spit take. It was so funny. I cracked up in this um, in this theater. The only <laughs> one laughing. The only one laughing in the whole theater. <laughs> yes, that was it. That was it. Writing was on the wall. <laughs> yeah. So I, I would like to um to get. 
to get Harry's um, thoughts about, I'd like to shift a little bit, and I'd like to get his thoughts about how New York City uh, has changed. Now, the the three of us are obviously uh, New York City people. I grew up north of the city. Uh, Sefton has uh, grew up in New York City, and Harry uh, the same. Um, but New York City has has changed radically. We had Michael Walsh on a few uh, episodes ago, and he spoke about how New York City is no longer a city of the Irish, the Italians, and the Jews. Uh, it is sort of a, a, a mess of multicultural, um, well, boy, trying to, trying to be polite <laughs> here, but uh, it, is, it is no longer a community. It is simply a, a, a collection of, of, of ethnic groups. And right. Harry, I'd like to hear your, your uh, thoughts about this. I, I think that's absolutely true. I know Michael, um, and uh, I can hear Michael talking about it. Um, you know, my kids still live in New York City, I, and, and I wish they'd get out. Uh, you know, we have a three-and-a-half-year-old grandson who's probably going to go to the New York City school system that, that right. they just parents were smart enough to turn against. Uh there was a piece today in the New York Post about, uh, you know, that they're destroying the, the the better schools that one had to test into. It's all being broken down ethnically. Um, uh, so I, I think it's an increasingly unlivable place for anyone with decency and common sense. I mean, you're fighting against forces. As you say, the, the New York City government has gone completely left. There's no sanity at all anymore in the, in the, in the city council. You got a mayor who's essentially thrown up his hands and likes to go out and eat at pleasant at nice restaurants and and understands the city is going to hell and doesn't care to do anything about it. Uh, I mean, the city that was saved by Giuliani and, and Michael Bloomberg has been undermined in, in the last fifteen years and, and no longer exists. Uh, you know, I, I, I I'm a I'm a contributing editor of City Journal, which is the magazine of the Manhattan Institute, and that it, it, it is a publication. Um, dedicated to to a large extent to saving uh, New York City and other key urban centers in America, but basically all they can do is is repeat the same things over and over again. The prescriptions are, are very clear about uh, you know dealing not not being sanctuary cities. Uh, uh, I mean they have a whole range of prescriptions which no one is ever going, going to follow in New York. So um, I. You know, I hate to say New York has been doomed because negative as, as I am about most things, we've seen New York City rise from the ashes in the past. But you're right. It, it's not the same population anymore. Those who would ser serve to save the city <clears throat> are leaving. Um, they're being taxed out. They're being crimed out. Um, it's, it's, a, it's an increasingly untenable place to raise children. Um, the school, the, the schools are aren't worth going to, and the private schools in 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 their way are worse. They're they're pockets of of the most vile wokeism. The industries in which people wanted to work, young people wanted to work, are arguably even worse. I mean, so uh, you know, what's there to save ultimately? And I'll, I'll I'll add I'll add an additional complication. You know, the um, twenty or, or ten or fifteen or twenty or fifty years ago, New York uh, was in trouble, and 
it came back um, in part via the oceans of money that um, some of its some of its industries brought in, primarily finance. Um, now, with the advent of of a ridiculously fast and robust internet, people can work literally anywhere in the world, and they simply do not have to be in New York City nearly as much as they did even ten years ago. And so that injection of ocean, as I said, oceans of money is not going to come. And no. New York is in a very, very, very bad place right now because of that. Well, you know, CBD, CBD, you talked about, you know, Irish and Italian and Jewish and all these traditional, you know, ethnic groups, which, you know, obviously historically, let's not paint a, a rosy picture than, than, than it is. Or there was always antipathy and 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 even sometimes violence between between ethnic groups and uh, so on and so forth. But at the end of the day, over time, most, if not all, of these groups strove to be New Yorkers and Americans to greater or lesser extents along the political spectrum. At least they tried to make better for their children than what they came to uh, to to New York with uh, in the beginning in the nineteen twenties, the tens, or or whenever. Nowadays, you do not have that. We have absolute dissolution and we have people at each other's throats because of racialist politics, because of wokeism and uh, so on and so forth. And the idea is, is complete divide and conquer. Now, of course, with open borders, with the, you know everybody coming over from everywhere into New York, that just exacerbates that problem. There is no commonality of wanting to be a New Yorker, let alone wanting to be an American, whatever that, whatever that means. And so, and also now CBD, as you pointed out, who the hell wants to go into New York City where the, you know, whatever it is, uh, um, uh, real estate values, commercial real estate is what, $100, $200, $300 a square foot uh, when you have, you know, crime rampant, uh, dissolution everywhere, taxes out the wazoo, no public services, nobody gives a damn. And because of COVID, you know, why should people even have these, uh, these massive offices when they can just have you know, go in a strip mall somewhere out in the suburbs and their and their employees can come in whenever, you know, as close as that and then just telecommute. So, yeah, New York is in a death spiral, I think. Um, it's going to take, I don't know what it'll take to bring it back, but between COVID and everything else, it's uh, it ain't looking good, at least from my perspective. Yeah, you know, the single most depressed person I know probably is my a friend of mine whose uh, family is in real estate. His grandfather built buildings as an immigrant his father built buildings. He built a few himself. And uh, <clears throat> now he every day of his life is warfare against uh, the city administration, against the courts. Uh, I remember he saw his wife drag him to see rent many years ago. And I said, how do you like it? He said, how did I like it? It was a musical version of the Bronx Housing Court. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, and you know he really i think it's made him physically ill um and and i don't know how people uh can fight that fight on a daily basis because everything is stacked against you if, if you're interested in in um in essentially being a capitalist i mean it's a communist city so you've yeah. got a communist government in new york city now. yeah for, for folks for people who don't know what what harry is referring to um uh renters can go to court and get essentially whatever the hell they want from their landlords. And the idea of an eviction in New York City is laughable. Uh, well, it'll, it, it takes a couple human... of years, and you don't have to pay rent. Housing is a human right. Yeah, exactly. 
Housing for the homeless is a human right. Housing yeah. for the undocumented is a human right. But uh, you know, did, the, did, the did, idea did, of property rights has has gone by the wayside in New York City, and that's that's been true for for well yeah. since Lindsay, I guess. Yeah, yeah, rent control. You know, here yeah. here's the thing. I mean, look, I'm no special pleader for landlords or for big businesses or whatever. But at the end of the day, if you own a building, it costs money to run that building, and you are there not to out of the goodness of your heart to give people a roof over their heads. You're there to make a profit. Make a profit you know, by charging rent and, and making a profit off of that and all the other accoutrements that go with it. But, you know, housing is not a human right. But of course, everything is top, topsy-turvy world. You know, everything is a human right, at least. So, you know, there it goes. And so once once that goes and people just throw up their arms like your friend, Harry, and just say, what the hell am I, you know, why are we knocking our, you know, our heads against the wall here with this? And then they just abandon properties. And then New York becomes a, uh, you know, some sort of a bizarre, it becomes Gaza, basically. Essentially, is that and, that's and, where and you know you walk with you're walking with a three year old down the streets and there's literally some guy shooting up in, in in the corner on the Upper West Side in a good neighborhood. Absolutely, uh, that's what you see in New York City now. It is it is absolutely insane. Anyway, listen, uh, we are going way long, and I think uh, it's time to wrap this up. Um, Harry Stein, uh, it's been a pleasure having you. Any parting thoughts as we as we wrap up the show? Yes, I, I only only that I realize I've been very very pessimistic. I, you know, this is a fight I have with my wife all the time, who uh, I I accuse of being a Pollyanna. She accuses me of being a kind of ghoulish soul, soul who, who ruins her days with my pessimism. Um, so, uh, <laughs> on, on behalf of her, I I'd prefer to uh, to end on an optimistic note, saying, listen. Uh, in the end, we're in the right. Uh, and if, if we can get that message across, the American people are fundamentally decent. Even many of those idiots on the other side, including my sister-in-law, are fundamentally decent. They believe they're, they're doing the right thing and supporting the right, the right policies. Uh, I, I think, you know, it, it, it is salvageable if, if we can simply convey that and find, find the means to convey that and the personalities to convey that. Uh, and maybe, maybe you know, a few of them will, um, are, are, are emerging. Uh, you know, they, they get shut down. I and mean, you get people like Russell Brand, which, who began to change, and Bill Maher, who I detest and who's been, who merely says some of the things that we've been saying for years. But I think that does have an effect. It has an effect on on those people who are surprised to hear it from anyone who they respect. Uh, so uh, you know, I would prefer to to think there is some hope because otherwise, uh, you know, we might as well all move to Argentina or, or or Hungary and be done with it. Yes, Argentina, the the newly elected uh, president, right, uh, yeah. has declared that he is going to convert to Judaism. By the way, oh, I didn't know that. I I, I know he. He'd, he'd been to uh, uh, the rabbi's Rebbe's grave. Yeah. Not near, near yeah. Uh, yes. Really, I didn't know he was converting to Judaism. Yeah, it's fascinating. The, guy, yeah. the guy's a lunatic, but an, but a good one. <laughs> He's on our side. Exactly. Harry, I, I, Harry I, I I think you're correct. I think that there is reason for optimism. Um, I think that the as as the left always does, they have overreached, and I think that enough people are going to see that in the next year or two, certainly the economy is showing them that the left cannot run an economy or that any, anyone can run that economy. 
Um, but I think, but they have overreached in so many other ways. Um, the attacks on on America's children, I think, is beyond the pale for many, many people. You know, trying to convince uh, America that that their five year old daughter is actually a, a boy and their seven year old son is actually a girl, it doesn't really fly. And people's people's eyes are being opened by the left. And and I and I think that um, well, let's let's put it to this way i think your wife is correct we should be more optimistic i, I Let won't us be- tell her i won't tell her she'll have to find out for herself and listen to <laughs> she has to listen to the show in order to find <laughs> out yeah harry stein as always a pleasure my friend good to talk to you it's been way too long we'll have you on again soon uh cbd thank you sir uh this is the cut jib newsletter radio network so for cbd and harry stein J.J. Septon, we will see you again on the next one. Thanks for hitting the tip jar and talk to you soon. Okay, talk soon. Thank you very much, Harry. Okay, bye, guys. Bye-bye. Thanks, Harry.